Hey, what's up, guys? It's Liz Kelly, and welcome to the Ringer Podcast Network. Up on the site this week, the Ringer staff has ranked every episode of The Good Place in honor of its series finale this week. Writers Allison Herman, Miles Surrey, Andrew Gudadaro, and more take you through all 51 episodes and celebrate what made the show so great. Later in the week, we're also releasing our February streaming guide with tons of TV and movie recommendations to get you through the month. You can check both those things out on theringer.com. Hey, 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 my hungry homies, my taste buds, all you culinary comrades out there. We have done it. We're back. Another delicious edition of House of Cards, the food podcast for the hungry people by the hungry people on the Ringer Podcast Network. I am your hungry host, Joe House. Taste buds, another heavy hitter of a show. We are bringing it in 2020. I'm finally catching up with some of the OGs in the Washington, D.C. food scene. Today's guest is not only an OG of the D.C. food scene, but he's a, you know him. He's a nationally recognized and renowned television food media star and also an incredible mother effing chef. He has his hands in a lot of different stuff. He's the first chairman, for instance, of D.C.'s Food Policy Council. He's also spearheading the production of a documentary about an incredible restaurant here in the DMV area. The guest is Spike Mendelson. You know him originally from Top Chef. He's been here in D.C. for a long time. We finally caught up. Let's get in that belly with my main man, Spike Mendelson. Twenty twenty, already a banner year. We are keeping it going. Then my guest today, this gentleman checks a lot of boxes. I've been a fan of his for over a decade, which I don't think makes either one of us necessarily too old. But listen to to this man's background. He's a chef, as you would expect on the show. He's a restaurant tour. That's that's pretty mainstream. He's a food TV megastar. Okay, he's a producer. He's an author. He is, I, he's either a mixologist or just a bar aficionado. I'm not sure which one, but we'll ask. We'll talk about it. Save it for the pod. He's an advocate for school kid nutrition, and he is and has been for over a decade a, a DC homie, Spike Mendelson. Welcome to House of Cars. Ooh, I like that. <laughs> so Game, Games of Throny kind of. I feel like we're going to get into it. It's good. Yeah, we are going to yeah, get yeah, into yeah. it. I like um, it. The intensity is good. Well, thank the, you for having me. I, we're, we're very excited to have you. I have been admiring you from afar for a long time. So um, it was natural as two DC homies. Yes. We would sit down together at some point in, in time and podcast at a minimum. We may eventually break some bread too. I, I, I hope that we're able uh, to do that now that we're establishing this lifelong friendship. Uh, yes. What took us so long? One decade? It's a great point. Um, so I, I, if you don't mind, um, we're going to start with like 
the the way that I was introduced to you, which is television. Okay, if, if that's okay. Yeah, yeah, of course. Um, and you know, you uh, were were on Top Chef. You were on the fourth season, and you happened to to arrive um, as that franchise was really starting to go bonkers. So, for those of us uh, that are a certain age and or obsessed with Top Chef, folks have known you, Spike, for. A long time, yes, and 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 been a fan of yours. I I, I think most people are a fan of yours. I, I would hope so. I mean, I, I, <laughs> you're you're an OG, and you happen to be on one of the most talented shows in the history of the franchise. Yes, all the folks associated with that show. Yeah, I mean, I think I mean I, I think you said it best. It was the peak of Top Chef. Was see, like I think was season four. Yes. You know, working into season five. I think three was good. It had a lot of you know ballers on it, but I think four and and five kind of blew it out of the water. And uh, it's just like right time, right moment. You know, I, I was really actually very concerned about going on a reality show. I was you know I, I was on a three Michelin star. You know. Uh, you know, mission. I had worked for like big restaurants, uh, you know, Thomas Keller in Napa, the Mascheroni family in, in New York. I worked for a restaurant tour named Drew Nipperon. It wasn't anything Michelin there, but it was like a good breath of business. Uh, and I, I felt like I was setting myself up for, to have that, that, that traditional New York restaurant. Okay. You know, and that's kind of what, you know, all the books I had read, all the inspiration I had is about New York, you know, French chefs coming yeah. to New York and making a difference. So, you know, taking that turn into, uh, to, you know, reality show was like, uh, was very, you know, I had a lot of anxiety about it, to be honest with you. So, so how, how did it happen? I mean, I, I took note of the fact you did the Culinary Institute of America. Yeah. And your boy, Marcel. Yes. Was, was exactly with you. You're with you. You're connecting all the dots already. Okay. I, I love it. Yeah. yeah. You tell the so, story. So, yeah, no. So, so Marcel and I, you know, we go back, we met uh, actually on my first day at culinary school and we, we were homies. We were homies in, in Poe Town. Uh, and, um, you know, I had seen him, you know, the nervousness I did have the show is I didn't think it was too legit, but then I had seen Marcel go on it and I knew he was a legit guy. So he kind of like paved the way for a lot of chefs that had a culinary background that were like in the scene that were maybe didn't really think the show was going to be super legit or not. Uh, he kind of gave us a little bit of hope. So he kind of introduced me, kind of brought me into the world. And then I started auditioning for the show. So, you know, I don't have to tell you, it's a really hectic process. You know, you know, lots of video submissions. They f fly you to LA, they interview you, sequester you and, you know, all sorts of bullshit. So. Can we swear? I mean, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. This is, hey, we have the E. Is this HBO? No, people okay. Know, people know that, that, that uh, when it comes to me, we're going low. But yeah, ground. you know, so that 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 was, I thought that that was like one of those moments where I was like, okay, let me go try this. And I, I had also been in the business since a young child. So I started, you know, people usually start their career at 21 in culinary world, right? I, I had been in it since I was 10 years old. I grew up in the family. So there was a little, there was, there's a little bit of jade, you know, I was feeling a little jaded of the industry itself. You okay. know, I had really kind of like went at it, worked for some big French chefs, worked for restaurateurs. And I was just kind of in this spot in New York, not sure what to do. And I was like, what the heck, let me just go, 
you know, I kind of took it as a vacation for two, three months. Yeah. So let, let's um, go backwards a little bit. You were born in Montreal and lived there for the first part of your life. So you're a, a Canadian by birth. Yes. Congrats. We have in front of us. Go up. Clearly Canadian. Yeah. You're drinking a clearly Canadian <laughs> sparkling water beverage yes. right here in front of it, us. It is. It's clearly Canadian and it is vegan. So I am within Veganuary, which I'm actually doing this month. So. Veganuary. Veganuary. Terrific. Yes. There's dry January and Veganuary. Yes. I already believe it on both counts my own self but i admire the spirit and, uh, and the intent behind it so montreal for the first like decade or so of your life yeah and then sevilla Seville, and sevilla Spain. yeah so so montreal big thick greek family very embedded into the montreal scene had some you know real good restaurants some famous ones le trois rouge da giovanni's uh, they actually own Schwartz's, which is the most famous deli in Montreal, maybe in the, in the entire world. I don't know if you've been there and had that sandwich. I haven't been fortunate enough. But but uh, it's really great. And uh, so I come from, you know, a big restaurant family. And then uh, actually 20 of our family members moved to Sevilla, Spain together to launch, you know, about 18 venues throughout the World's Fair in Spain. So Oh, so yeah. it was coincident with the World's Fair in Spain. Exactly. So okay. my parents had like a I, I forgot how they met like the the prince of Spain or something. They were schmoozing him, sending them watches, you know, iPad, whatever it was, whatever the technology was that day, we were sending it over there for their kids. So they got us into the loop and then we were able to bid on the World's Fair which ended up bringing, you know, a, a lot of my family members to Spain for three years. So, you know, at a young teen, teenager, you know, I, I was uprooted from Canada and moved to Spain. Wow. Yeah. I, I want to uh, ask, uh, we, we, we cover a lot of territory here on House of Carbs. You're 13, 14 years old and you moved to Spain. Yes. From Canada. Different class of, of girls. Oh my god! I mean, am I, everything. Yeah, I, I just want to make I completely my, different my class of girls impression. I yes, I mean, no disrespect whatsoever intended to Canadian no girls, women, no. any of it. I no, just, not at just all. Especially thing. in Montreal, which is kind of your you know yeah, a little bit absolutely European. international. Yeah. It's a it's it's a, it's a very sophisticated place, but, but just a different thing. It's warm yeah. in Sevilla. But be be honest with you, I wasn't even there with the girl thing. I was oh, just like you know. Okay. I, and maybe I was a little younger than three, maybe 11 or I think I was 11 years old. You know, I was just like thrown into this culturally diverse, you know, country with all sorts of different foods and languages. And when I came back from Spain, I, I have to tell you, my pants were like up to my belly button. My shirt was tucked in. I had the perfect little Spaniard part. I was suntan. I had freckles galore. Okay. And I had like, I think, you know, penny shoes. And yeah, I was like <laughs> super Spaniard. Great. <laughs> yeah. And so, and so from Spain, to where next? Florida. Oh, okay. The whole family again? Uh, just my parents. Okay. We had a little family drama in Spain. Yes, sure. So we all kind of went. Spice of life. Spice of life. We were all too successful over there. So, you know, that brings a, a bunch of problems. But, but, uh, we we moved to Spain. My grandmother had been living there, so basically Clearwater, Florida. Clearwater, your grandmother yeah. was in Clearwater, Florida. Yeah, for forty years. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So I wasn't a stranger to Clearwater. I always went there as a baby during the summers and, and so forth. We just ended up moving to Spain, and uh, my parents shortly after that, you know, they took a couple years off, and then uh, they founded Pepin's, which is the restaurant that we ran for about 10, 15 years and the one I grew up in. So it was a natural path to find yourself at the Culinary Institute of America. Like, yeah, yeah, kind of natural. Kind of like your, I mean, your college, like the college that you would expect to find yourself in. Yeah, no? I think you know. I think I have mixed feelings about the state of Florida in general. Sure. On one hand, I can't knock on it because I think it really like churned out like this drive that I had. Mm. 
uh, that I didn't know I had. So, you know, I wound up like any teenager getting in a lot of trouble. I was going to military school uh, in Spain, St. Petersburg. Uh, I went to Admiral Farragut Academy, which was like a boarding school. Uh, so I spent like the week there. And then on the weekends, I would go to my parents' restaurant and I had a job. I washed dishes. So uh, that was kind of my life, uh, you know, going to military school and then back to the restaurant to wash dishes. And slowly but surely, uh, you know, I started getting into deeper and deeper trouble. And I kind of ventured off and started working in clubs and, you know, just did that whole teenager thing in Florida. Yeah. And it's not until actually my grandfather got diagnosed with lung cancer. Oh. Or parents call me back up and they're like, listen, like, I hope you're done like screwing around. Like we need you to come back mm -hmm. to the restaurant and, and, you know, hang out for a year while we go take care of your grandfather. And, and, you know, I love my grandfather. So, you know, that's kind of what I did. I kind of dropped the stupid things I was getting involved in and just came back to the restaurant and started running the restaurant while my parents were gone. Uh, and to the surprise, kind of running it quite well. So to that, everyone's surprise. To everyone's surprise. And relief. Everyone's, yeah. And relief. And uh, yeah, so, you know, it, it was, you know, they came back and we had chatted and like, if you stick it around another year, we'll send you to any culinary school. It's kind of the deal they cut with me. Oh, wow. Okay. So they cut a deal with me. They're like, listen, like, we know you've been venturing off, like misbehaving, doing all this. Like, if you stay here another year and shows that you can actually, you know, really run this restaurant and, and step up, we'll send you to whatever culinary school. And I didn't even... I didn't even know culinary school existed. Did at you that point. care? Did that was that in, in, enticing to you? Was I that did, a good I enough did, you know inducement? I mean, I I wanted to get out of Florida. Yeah, okay. You know, and it, it wasn't until I actually got into culinary school and started spending the first couple of weeks in classes yeah. that this light bulb went off, and I was like, "Whoa, holy shit!" Like, yeah. okay, this is what you this is what you do. You know, what I mean, like okay. you you can cook because you have to understand when. Culinary school, they accept anybody. Career changers, high school students. Oh, all walks hobby, of life. All walks of joint. life go into culinary school. They okay. really have no, you know, you have to write an essay to get accepted. You know, so you end up in this classroom with people that are maybe just doing this as a hobby yeah. or just walked out of, got out of high school and their parents just sent them to culinary school. Or, you know, maybe you have a couple kitchen rats like myself that grew up in the industry. But it was very evident to me that all these people didn't know shit in class and yeah. i knew all this wealth of like cooking experience you yeah. know i knew how to like make a hollandaise or you knew how to make a beef stock i knew i knew, I knew these things i also had learned a lot of things like the wrong way in florida uh -huh. in like a kitchen in florida yes but like the guys you rub shoulders with on the line yeah. you know um but but i knew enough to f start to feel real confident and basically like outcook people in my classes you know i was okay. just like always trying to push the limits a little bit. And I, I really feel that's kind of where I started getting inspired that I, because before that I was, I was kind of a lost teenager. I didn't really know what I wanted to do. Sure. I always worked in restaurants. I knew, how, you know, I knew restaurants, but you know, I wanted to be in film. I wanted to be a producer. Yeah. I wanted to do all these different things, these exciting things. So. Wow. So that's um, in, in some respects, almost um, a perfect training ground for, for the television thing, which is just the, the dumbest coincidence ever. Yes. That this television show came into its ex existence and, and was on the rise. 100%. Like, uh, like timing-wise, coincident with you coming out of culinary school, having been there with a dude that yeah. was, you know, super accomplished um, on the show and then, be, you know, has gone on to great things as well. Totally. Um, but he he showed you uh, the way and you, you um, impressed the folks there enough – 
Yeah. Made the right kind of impression. And and then it wasn't just that that season of Top Chef. And you made it all the way. I was glad that you didn't make it to the one right before. The one, was it Antonio? Who lost, didn't make the final three? When you, the, the person that's fourth, that's the worst. That's the worst. That's spot the worst part. Yeah. I went to the last show yeah. until the finals. Right. And it's kind of a blessing in disguise because then you don't get like, you don't get like churned out into this top chef world where uh-huh. they kind of own you kind of in a contract. Oh, oh, oh. Right. So you make it to the, to the final three, you, the things change a little, a little bit. Yeah. Right. So, you so know, it was, it was especially Blaise. for the winner, you know, yeah. like, you know, so, and that year it was Richard blaze, Stephanie, Izard, hardcore year, and, Dale, uh, Dale Talde. Yeah. Dale Tal- Talde. There yeah. was Antonio was there. Yeah. I mean, there were some heavy hitters, right? And it was, I mean, it was a great show. I mean, I love, like I say, I think our season still is is one of the best. And I think like people that came off that season are doing some real stuff in this, in this world right now. So it's been great, but I actually applied for season three. They flew me to LA, uh, sequestered me for like 36 hours, interviews, psych, you know, psych tests, all this kind of stuff. Flew me back to New York and then sent me uh, an email saying I, I hadn't been accepted to the show. So I took that email. I emailed Andy Cohen. I found Andy Cohen's email. What? Because he was at Bravo. He was like the head of Bravo. Yeah, exactly. So, yeah, at that time, he wasn't like anybody. (laughs) It's just like the guy behind the scenes. So, I emailed Andy Cohen. I was like, Your show is going to go up in flames. It sucks. I was just like, You made the worst decision ever. You know, and I sent it, you know, very aggressive. And uh, I think about four months later, I get a response back to that email from Andy. He's like, Spike, listen. I loved your videos you submitted. I loved like, you know, because I had done some wacky stuff. Like I, I did like a scene where I had samurai swords and I had people throw fruit at me and I was like doing fruit ninja. I like butchered a huge, massive sea bass with a sword and like fillet. So like I was a, like- Like a proper kind yeah, of butchering of the sea bass? Yeah, yeah. proper, but like really like samurai style, like, yeah. you know, in one slice. And then I wrestled an eel, a live eel. And, you know, it was like, I, was, I felt it was like a pretty good video. We still have those videos? Uh, they own them. They oh, own okay. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, but anyways, he's like, so we'd like you to go through the process again for season four and and I'm sure we'll get you on. So I was like, oh, okay. So okay. sorry about your last email, but, <laughs> but you know. Well, not sorry. Like, yeah, or not sorry. Yeah, exactly. They didn't say to you, you didn't make three, but hold tight for four. They just said, sorry. Right. They and said, then sorry. you sent your email. Exactly. Directly to the man himself. <laughs> uh, and he got, caught his attention. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, that's. Uh, have you told that uh, that well known out there? I don't, I don't, think I don't I know that. I don't know how well known that that is, but I mean, I I have you know I am a, a person that says like you're like you have to be persistent and go after what you yeah, want. Yeah, yeah. Like to you know when I worked in the north of France for a year in between culinary school, it took me seven months of nonstop calling to the kitchen, this kitchen in France, this French chef. I'd wake up at three o'clock in the morning once a week. I get somebody a whole lot, somebody in the morning in France, and I'd be like, "Hey, like I really want to come work here. I want you to prove my externship." And like a lot of times, with a, they would hang up, and they're like, "Oh, we don't take Americans from, <laughs> you know, like we we don't take uh, hoteliers from Americans, just Europe, European like culinary schools." And you know, it was like nonstop. So that went on for months, and finally, like two months before, I had to get an approved, you know, place to go. I finally call again, same thing, and the head chef answered, and he goes. Oh, putain. Like, basically, like, shit, I'm going to send you your accept. Just please stop calling us. <laughs> Just please, please stop calling us. So uh, that's kind of how I got my my opportunity in France. And wow. to work at that Michelin star restaurant, which, um, you know, is is 
that restaurant set the tone for the rest of my life. It always has. Oh, yeah. Well, why? Why in particular? It just it was like weird things. It was weird how it all happened. Like my parents had honeymooned to France. Like they, they, their car broke down. They ended up in this castle. They were super embarrassed. They welcomed them in. And my mother's a huge foodie and chef. And then they were all of a sudden they were like this this castle with the three Michelin star chef because the car broke down. In the car broke down like, like while they were doing, uh, going through Champagne Country. So, but but like the nearest stop is the was castle. the castle. <laughs> Was the cat and they had the ricketiest little Renault car, like yeah. red, you know, padunk dunk car, like you know, put putting through it. And anyway, so they ended up staying for two days, and uh, they met the chef. His name was Gerard Boyer. He's like one of the the top echelon greats, and and no one really knows him in the states because he never crossed over here, like mm-hmm. Alain Ducasse and Daniel Boulieu and yeah. Jean Georges. Yeah, but he is that person, you know. Okay. And uh, my mother always told me she's like, if you ever want to be a real chef. You're going to go work for Gerard Boyer. And that's what she told me for years. She's like, if you ever want to be a real chef, you're going to have to, you know, go over there and get trained by the best. So it was like this thing, like reoccurring in my life. So when I got into culinary school and I saw like, okay, there might be an opportunity. I just worked at getting to that castle because that's all that was in my brain. I was like, my mother said, if I want to take this serious, I got to go to that chef. So I got accepted to Gerard Boyer, which is a three Michelin star restaurant for 30 years. It was his last year and tenure there actually i had just made it before he he had sold it to uh, the alan ducasse group but what was so special there was they had 19 rooms you know 60 chef manpower and they cooked these the most amazing meals and they had the most amazing ingredients and they had the most respect for the terroir and where their wine came from and it it was a theater it, it wasn't like you just didn't go to a restaurant like you got you came to the restaurant you got welcomed by Gerard and his wife and they walked you into this thing you know and you had a little appetizer it was just like when you were there it's just like all your worries would go away as a guest and then you had the most delicious meal ever until this day it's still one of the top restaurants in the world so it set the tone for my career, like just like my respect for ingredients, my respect for the craft, like all the books I read of of like Jacques Pepin and Sirio Mascioni and all these chefs that were going to France and learning like they call it the 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 base, right? Uh-huh. Like all the sauces and the stocks and the right. French way. Yes, all that stuff I'd been reading to, I'd finally like you know set foot in it, and um, I came back with a recipe book about this thick that I made the chef sign. I think he was like thought I was nuts because I documented everything. That's the book actually that I pitched for the Inela Washington show. So let's go ahead and that, talk about yeah, that yeah, because that, that's yeah. that's an incredible connection. Um, what you just described in terms of that experience, that formative experience yes. for you um, in France and the three Michelin stars and, and immediately what popped to mind was the fact that you have a heavy hand in producing a documentary yeah. about here in our in our little backyard yeah. um, in, in Washington, Virginia, there is an inn. And what's especially resonated is this idea of when you arrive, all of the world goes away. It melts away. But yeah, the, the inn of little Washington. Patrick O'Connell. I was on this three Michelin starred Kool-Aid thing, you know, mm-hmm. working for Thomas Keller, all these guys. I was like the best of the best. When did the show, Top Chef, Came back here, started opening fast casual restaurants in DC with yeah, my family. We'll say right? that because yeah. I, I, I want to talk to you about about that. But I'm just the the connection between in Little Washington and well, yeah. So 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 that's what it is. There's there was this love of that world that I have inside me. We right? call that the Relais Chateau. The Relais Chateau world. The Relais Chateau. The Brigade, like yeah. the Brigade system, the kitchen, like that world. Like I know what it was. I lived it. I cooked it. You know, and and I had this whole other career that I thought I would never have, which was like food policy and like 
fast casual restaurants and Top Chef. And I went to the Inland Washington. When was the first time you went there? Three years ago. Oh, so recent. So yeah. So when I was at culinary school, you know, uh, Patrick O'Connell had came to visit and uh, I stood in line. I was the last person in line. I had my book. I wanted to get signed from him. I had studied him, you know, the Pope of American cuisine. And of course, it wasn't good enough that my parents were telling me to go to Gerard Boyer, right? So I kind of like fact-checked him a little bit. I was like, hey, my parents are telling me to go to this place called Les Crayères. And he goes, Les Crayères, Gerard Boyer. And it, like that was kind of his reaction, right? And if you know Patrick, he's like, Flamboyant. Flamboyant, bigger Big. than life. Yeah. He goes, I think he said, son, if there's only one thing that you accomplish here at the, at the Culinary Institute is make sure that you end up at that place. Wow. So that's what, the, you know, that's kind of like just pushed me over the top. You know, my parents have been telling me about it this whole time. But again, from like this guy that I was worshiping, like a, a chef, like telling me to do it, it was just like reinforcing. So 10 years later, 10, 15 years later, I told my wife, I was like, hey, listen, like I have this thing with Patrick. He yeah. doesn't even know it. It's like he inspired me. And right. like I, I and I want to go to his restaurant. You know, we were expecting a baby. I was like, this is the perf mo perfect moment. Just take a weekend and go there. So we went, uh, sat in the, chef the chef's kitchen. Um, I told Patrick, you know, uh, about that story right, that I just told you. Uh, and I mean, he just treated me just like like the best. Yeah. You know what I mean? Uh, it's like we had known each other for, for years. Right. And uh, while we're sitting in the chef kitchen with my wife, I was like, man, I was like, this is what I miss. I was like, I'm watching all the chefs cook. I was like, this, this is what I grew up. Like, this is what I love, you know? And, and uh, I was just reminiscing a little bit. And I was like, oh, I would just love to produce. And I, I had a three show contract with Show of Force. Okay. I already signed. I didn't know what I was doing. Show of Force is a production, the production company. company. Yeah. 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 It'd be awesome if we can just like do this for the rest of our lives, like travel to every related chateau <laughs> and just like eat caviar. Right. Oh, yeah. Right. And I was like, let's call it. Castles and caviar. I was like, that's all I want to do. Like, <laughs> lifestyles of the rich and famous meets downtown Abbey. Like, you know, I was just like, so Cody and I read, like, wrote like a little script for it. And I brought it back to my producers uh, and I reinforced it with this book of my own journey. I was like, this, I know this world. It exists right here in my backyard. I think we should pitch Patrick mm -hmm. to do a documentary. So went and pitched Patrick cold. You know, he sat me in this like decadent room. We had tea service. And I said, you know, I went through this whole story with him and Patrick. I was like, I, I think what you're doing here needs, the story needs to be told. You've never let anybody in. Your story needs to be told. You know, like this is like beautiful. Like we're, we're, we're all our heads are up our own asses in this food scene. And like yeah. we're food trucks and we're all in a like celebrity chef. You know, it's like, I'm part of it. I'm part, part of that whole thing. You know, the problem. But that's what I love the most about the business is what, what he does. Right. And, uh, it just, it was very easy. Like he, he said, I, you know, I, he, you, you just happen to come at the right moment. Is this something that I've been wanting to do? Do you have a production team? I was like, I do have a production team. So, okay. All right. Why don't we just shoot a little pilot and get to feel each other. And for all vibing, we'll do this. Yeah. So it was really as simple as that. And, um, three years later, two, two and a half years later, we got this amazing documentary that's airing this spring, this spring, 2020, 2020 PBS and the, the Virginia film festival. Yes. Right. It was at the Virginia film festival already, which was in October, did really well, sold out the entire theater. It's a great documentary. Patrick is uh, like a mad genius yeah. and he, he puts things in frame, you know, is really kind of what he does. And like, that's the way he looks at the world. And if it's ugly, he wants to make it beautiful. And like that at the base is what, he grew up 
and wanting to do is just make the world a better place. When he set himself in in Little Washington 40 years ago, no one really understood homosexuality, right? Like you have to there were a lot of haters. Yeah. Yeah. So that's a big Washington, part. Virginia, you know, it's it's it might be an overstatement to call it a town. There yeah. were maybe like four or five businesses. Exactly. hundred people. Yeah. That, Less than a hundred people. Yeah. Yes. In 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 when he started this. Yeah. The fact that he stuck it out through all of the ups and downs and really just was true to himself. True to himself. And it's, it's just a it's a dreamy world. He is he is the town of Little Little Washington. That's and right. it's it sounds weird because, you know, but I, I'm living through his like, like that he's doing it. Like I get to be close to it at least. And okay. it makes me feel good. He just got three Michelin stars. Yeah, I, I was there. We were, my wife and I were there for our 10th wedding anniversary, the Friday after the announcement of the three stars. Man, so it like, been so high. The, the, everybody yeah. was, it was very muted as you would expect, right? The The jubilation. But like it was high fives everywhere. Everywhere, I mean, it's high five. Sure, it was high five time. It was so badass. It was it was just dumb luck that we had booked it that night. I mean that that weekend. So, but that yeah. It, what it, was your it, favorite thing on the menu? Would you what was um, the standout? The foie gras. The foie gras. I mean, I'm sorry, <laughs> <laughs> like, melts. It, it's hard to believe that it's that it's food. Yeah. You know, like it it it, it occupies um among the the five senses you know when you're consuming something it is unlike other thing anything else that i've put in my mouth and and like consumed in that way so uh and and the cheese cart is pretty bad the cheese cart and the cheese guy yeah the cheese guy is insane <laughs> the cheese guy is insane yeah he, he is he in the documentary he's in definitely in the documentary he deserves the time yes i mean what what a speaking of of the content that guy I might not have to have him on the pod if he Oh my god, he would probably Well, you know, he's like so, you know, he's a guy that had no background in food and Patrick really just saw saw something in him, made him the cheese guy, the guy that researched cheese to to the end of the world and back, has the best cheese program that I could think of. Yes. There's every single thing and now he's the tea master. And so he did the same thing with the tea, like Every single tea around the world. He has the best tea program. He knows every single thing about every ingredient. And now they're moving on. To, uh, he's moving on to coffee roasting. Oh my god! So it's like, yeah, it, like the place just churns out talent. Yes, you know what I mean. Yes. And and or finds it and holds on to it and nurtures it. Yeah. and lets it blossom. Yes, because the I mean the homie the cheese experience there is such that. I kind of wanted to have him just be with us for 45 minutes. Can we just do this and 100%. keep talking and eat a little and have a little yeah. wine? And just- I, there's not one moment that my face doesn't doesn't hurt after he comes by the table because right. I'm laughing so much at his puns. Like, yeah. it's just like, yeah, it's like, it's really, he, he, he's, he's, he's a, a, a true treasure yeah. at, uh, as part of the overall experience. Well, I, I'm, uh, you know, having made that that connection and hearing about sort of what was in your DNA, um, castle to inn and the the French traditional classic convention. When you arrive in Washington D.C., hot on the heels or basically coincident with your sort of you know becoming a nationally known TV yeah. food person, you come to Washington D.C. and open up a burger joint. Yes. <laughs> So, and in fact, if we're looking at your accomplishments on the DC food scene, and believe me, I love all these food. This is not a knock. I'm just talking about how interesting I, I, it is totally from your background <laughs> to what you've you've done in terms of of you know pushing um, your concept. It's been burgers, pizza, 
Mexican street food. Yes. Um, Bernays, which I, I loved, I loved, it. loved, you know, f- f- a French steak, yeah. you know, kind of concept. Of course. Awesome. I miss, um, I miss it. And uh, sure. Yeah. Me, me too. Yeah. And, and, and a couple bars, but really like burgers, pizza. Yes. Uh, Mexican street food. Yeah. You know, uh, I think one of the cool things is, is that I've, I've been lucky enough to have a, a like a good business background in the restaurant industry. And a lot of chefs don't have that. Yeah, that experience, and I have that experience through my family. You know, uh, you know, grew up around the business. You were a restaurateur as a teenager, exactly. Necessity, necessity, exactly. So, so I have that going for me. So that's always been like one of my strong suits. I feel, Uh, whereas you know, a lot of chefs don't have that. They just have the the super uber creative stuff. So, the move to DC was never supposed to be super permanent. But you know, I had been working for Drew Nipperant at my house. I had a Vietnamese French restaurant. You know, got two stars, great reviews, loved it, yeah. delicious. Uh, but we were, you know, the economy took a hit. And, you know, I That's had just- right, 2008. Yeah. And, and, you know, I had just been on this show and my sister's like, listen, like we can do some marketing and PR. She had like a marketing PR background. And, she, and she's like, I found this location in DC. Uh, you know, it's right by the Greek Taverna that used to be over there. Yes. And uh, it was actually, it was the paper, uh, it was an old card shop. It was like a purple building. Okay. Yeah, old card shop. Uh, the Taverna was the pizza place, but you know, she said, I found location. There's no good food here. It's on Capitol Hill steps away from the, you know, I was like, all right. I was like, I'll bring my boys and we'll come down there. I had two sous chefs that had been working with me, Brian and Mike, and we just hopped in car, put our stuff in the U-Haul and decided to move to DC on a whim. You know, we're kind of tired and jaded of New York. We've been there six years. We just wanted to apply like all this fancy cooking and, you know, of flavors to just fast casual food and burgers. Okay. And you know, the, int- the intention want to do that. It was the business was being driven by my parents and 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 they wanted to get back into business and I, they had been retired for a while and they were driving my sister and I up a wall, <laughs> right? So there's like this idea of them getting back into business, okay. uh, and you know, and my sister wasn't loving her job at the embassy, so she wanted an opportunity. And again, like we're all this and like we hadn't spent time with each other for years. Yeah, you know, we had all went and did our own thing, so it was like just time to get together and do something. Okay. It just naturally happened. You know, we've always been a really close family. So just launched Good Safiri and and I think we I, I didn't I don't think we knew exactly what we were getting into. Uh, but the power of PR marketing and the brand top chef being at, at the top, you know, at the it top was. of its time. Peak moment. Just doing delicious, nostalgic food that's affordable in a recession. Yes. Right? Yes. That you people yes. can have a full, awesome, delicious meal and feel feel the value. Right. Was what made us. Right. Uh-huh. And that's what made good stuff you what it is today. Right. It still lines around the corner. It's never stopped. My mother always jokes about this honeymoon period. She always told me that that we would have. Oh, it's just the honeymoon period. I was like, well, we're still honeymooning after 15 years, you know? <laughs> so uh, you know, and then, you know, after you know, I really think we kind of developed the fast casual space with a chef, like yeah. a celebrity chef. I don't think anybody had been doing that. Wolfgang Putt had like a couple things in airports here and there. Yeah. But the idea of Definitely like- not a, in DC. No, the, but the idea of a top chef coming up a show and opening up their own restaurant, you know, right off the bat, that's fast casual. No one was doing that. I don't. I, I don't know who else. No it, one was like there. even in the in the roster. Even s- since I can't think of. Yeah, it. no. There's been some guys now. I, I mean, I know Blaze has Crack Shack. Yeah, right? Crack Shack. Angelo had like another place. They're, they're starting to venture off, you know. But like fine dining, Michelin star chef started venturing off. Jose right. Andreas, right, 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 everyone, right. of course. 
so we saw that and we were like, well, there's a place next door. Someone's going to come take it. So what's the second favorite food? Pizza. We love pizza because I just came from New York and I, I kept on going to New York and bringing pizzas back to DC, <laughs> you know, because we were like two New Yorkers and myself and we yeah. were like, we need New York pizza. Yeah. So that's what we would do. And we'd bring, you know, we'd bring back like 10 pizzas in Amtrak and have them for the next couple of days. We'd reheat them. <laughs> So then we're like, well, why don't we just open up our own pizza shop? Right. So that's how we the pizza happened, and um, and then those two were the ones like for a while. Yeah. And then I started getting you know doing all these burger festivals and winning these because well, burgers were not at the top. Yeah, they weren't in, at the in top that era when you when when you they weren't um, arrived yeah. here in Washington. Yeah, they weren't at the top, and they 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 became the top for a while, and everyone else yes. started doing them, uh, and it's great. Um, I started getting tired of being ref- referred to. You have to imagine, like, I had a little bit, uh, well, some people would say I have a lot, a big ego or a little <laughs> ego. Call it what you want. Ju- judge me yourself. Confidence. Uh, yeah, yeah. And I just, you know, I had come from this huge background. I didn't, th- I didn't think through my career too much. Yes. I was just going with the flow. Uh-huh. So, you know, all of a sudden I started being being known as this burger guy, the pizza guy, and the burger guy, and the pizza guy, and the come on the cook burgers on the morning show and cook, bur- you know, and it was yes. just like, it started chipping away at me mm-hmm. a little bit. And that's why we opened up Bernays. Because uh-huh. okay. my family was nice enough and we were, everyone was like, all right, well, we need to like get them out of this like pizza burger world rut. Uh, and I mean, you had Boyer in your background. It wasn't even like six, seven years prior to, to the exactly. becoming, you know, burger guy. Yeah. And, and, you know, and one of my favorite restaurants still to this day that I've ever worked at was Bouchon, mm-hmm. Thomas Keller. Yes. I, you know, basically opened up my version of a Bouchon, a bistro, yes. a French classic bistro, Bernays. Loved the food. We did Loved like crispy pig's feet. We did like steak frites. We did fries yards. Are, the fries were incredible. Yeah, unbelievable. Still, like I can't get another a fry. Like they were just so good. I know. I wish you would figure out a yeah, way to make yeah, those again because yeah. I would buy them. <laughs> and and it was a great place, but um, the strains of running a real restaurant started to come into play. Sure. And I had, I forgot the daily grind. And it was a different time in D.C. Then it was too. a different time in D.C. Little diplomat opened up and yeah. like kind of gave me a little bit of a beating. Same right. week, yeah, right, yeah. So you know we were working from behind, and uh, I don't know if you knew this, but when we opened it up, we opened it up as a, a as a classic state free restaurant. Okay, which was inspired, and, and this was I said something wrong. So the misstep was originally we opened it up based off a restaurant in Paris and Montreal, which is called L'Entrecote, oh. and it's just steak and fries. That's it. You get steak and fries. There's a place, medium rare. Medium rare. Does exactly. a version of that here in Washington. Exactly. Exactly. So when we opened up Bernays, medium rare had also opened up. Yes. Le Diplomat also opened up. Uh-huh. And we were in this weird space. So like two, three weeks after I had just seen like the initial response, we we're like, oh, we got to go full brasserie bistro. Right. And then we just started adding stuff to the menu. We started doing brunch. And then, and then it became a really awesome thing, Capitol Hill. But the stress is caught up. We're having two restaurants next door just blowing sales out of the water. Yeah. The lift is still a lift because you're running a restaurant, but not nearly as much as what we were spending time at Bernays. Yes. And making less. So, you know, my career just started taking different different paths. Sure. Policy, this. And yeah, I was like, yeah, yeah. I had to own up to myself yeah. that I'm not that guy anymore. And, you know, let let's let's figure out what the next 10 years is. So Yeah. And the pivot was to Mexican street food. Pivot for that location was Mexican street food. I tell people we have the fanciest kitchen for a taqueria <laughs> ever. We have French flat tops in there. There is not not a, a better equipped Mexican taqueria <laughs> in life. So, but well, the, but it's great. People are happy and sales are great. And 
Yeah, still he's killing still it. Just killing it. Great yeah. spot killing on, it. on Capitol Hill. Yeah. Which, like, prior to your arrival was a real food desert. Your sister knew what she was doing. Yeah, big time. Finding that spot big for time. you. Big time. And let you make your mark there. And, like, listen, it's a, you know, those businesses, they're called the Sunnyside Group. Those businesses are, it's a family endeavor. Yes. You got my mother, father, they go into work every day. Oh, wow. Yeah, they go in every day. They're here in D.C.? Oh, they're in D.C. They run that whole organization. Now, you said you brought the whole family here to reconnect and that um, No, they brought me here. My sister was here oh. and my parents had moved here and were driving her crazy. Oh, she, okay, okay. So, uh, I yeah. see. They, they grabbed the, the, the kid off doing his yeah. thing in New York and brought him back to the family. Exactly. Come back to the family, Come back Spike. to the family. That's it. So, yeah, so they reeled me back in and, and yeah, it's, you know, it's it's difficult working with your family. I don't know if you've ever had that opportunity or I not. I blessedly <laughs> have not. <laughs> yeah, I'm very happy. But it's a, it's a it's a difficult space, you know, yeah. um, especially being the young guy, the young one in the family. So Well, we'll, we'll, we'll leave it at that. Oh, oh, in that in the time of um, you know the the build out of Bernays and and you know getting it going, you mentioned having a couple of other things that were started taking up some some, some of your time. Yes, including I think um, the food advocacy. Yeah, the the nutrition in in DC schools. How did yeah. you bump into that? How did that become a thing for you? Uh, yeah, so I I actually maybe bump into it's the wrong way to well, say. Well, no, it. it's maybe actually you found it. Maybe it you sought actually, it out. No, it was it was really bumping into it. It, it was uh, I had been asked by the Chef Action Network, which is a James Beard Foundation organization now, okay. to go on a boot camp. And they were trying to um, find chefs all over the place, but I was in D.C., so that was good, that they would invite to a boot camp for four days and talk to chefs on how they can um, have a voice in food policy, right? So food policy started to become really popular, right? We had Tom Caligio fighting GMOs, Michelle Nishan, Jose Andreas, right? Uh, so they were trying to churn out chefs to become advocates. Mm-hmm. Uh, so uh, my boot camp happened to be, and it was musicians and chefs. So I was with Jack Johnson, oh. which I was like a, a lifetime fan of. So I was blew my mind that I actually spent time with him working on on food policy, and we we still do stuff here and there. But that was the inspiration. It was a, a woman by the name of Catherine Miller that you know in class kind of gave me that aha moment where it's like, oh, like you have all these politicians coming to your restaurant, Spike every day yeah take an opportunity to talk about to them about things that actually matter to you and see what type of influence you can have mm-hmm. um i mean including the president of the united states at one point yeah exactly he, he was visiting All, before you were exactly the, the, exactly the council, and michelle right? obama let's move uh the let's move campaign she right. got me like you know she inspired me to go to the schools and start learning about like child nutrition and all that yes. kind of good stuff uh, and then Mayor Bowser was coming to Bernays all the time for brunch. And, and you know, that was kind of like, oh, I, I was like, I have the mayor coming, you know, almost every other weekend. Uh-huh. So that's, you know, th- so I started talking to the mayor about food policy and we started doing things together. And before you know it, she asked me if I wanted to head up the D.C., you know, chair the D.C. Food Policy Council, which is the first ever in D.C. And I was like, I don't know what that is, but let yeah. me look into it. And, right. you know, it was, and then it was a good opportunity. I talked to some, you know, some people close to me and they're like, you should do this, even though it's like a little bit out of your, right. your not, space. Not your lane. Yeah. Like I went from interviewing dishwashers to Harvard graduates to be on the policy council. It was like, okay. like, uh-huh. But that was great because that let me really dig into local food policy and all the hurdles that we have in, in you know, in place that prevent us from, having a really great sustainable food system in DC. And and now that we actually have a food policy and it's backed by the government and the mayor, and it's also connects the community, mm-hmm. uh, we can actually have effective change together. So 
it's all it's taken me into this whole other thing that I, I didn't never even realized I'd do, and it's been it's been great to give back. Still, big work in progress. Big right? work in not progress. Not like anybody would say, we're "Oh, in we're our done. Third, we've accomplished." No, anything. definitely not. We're in our third year. You yeah. know, it talk, we we learned a lot just setting it up. Yeah. Now you know. I think we're going to start firing off some really good things like this year 2020 will be the year for the food policy council so. okay well like what like what what kind of things I mean, well like fi- specific, finally but- no no i can be super specific you know finally you know you know th- there's a big grocery gap in in ward seven and eight yes. you know there's not enough grocers right? right so one of our you know our main pillars for the food policy council are urban agriculture sustainable farming food access food deserts mm-hmm uh, and small business, how we can prop up small, small uh, business food economies. Right. Uh, the main one, which is huge, is food deserts, right? And what I mean by that is like we in D.C., as you know, being a local, we have eight wards, you know, one through six being probably the wards that are a little bit more livable, more opportunity. Uh, you know, people that live there make m- more money. Right. Uh, and ward seven being the the ones that are are the worst mm-hmm. worst case scenarios and maybe having one grocery grocery store for both so the idea of really a attra- you know writing legislation to attract grocers towards seven and eight where they can make money yeah and go somewhere offer jobs yeah. in those wards and also let people have act like good access to nutritious food is a huge thing yeah that's like like the single most thing that we combat except for like school nutrition yes you know. So that's something we're working towards and, you know, we're, 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 we're figuring out ways to, you know, have some special grants to attract people. Yeah. So that's like one of the bigger things that we're working on. Oh, I love it. Yeah. I, 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 uh, there's a ton that you could see the sustainable DC on the website and like you could spend hours reading what we're up to. But like that to me is like one of the bigger ones. Yeah. Right. And it's, it's kind of been a known problem and issue for a long time and folks haven't had, um, you know whether it's uh, the 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 economics of it or whether it's the the bandwidth, but there has not been really a solution. Hasn't been up, up till now because yeah. the, the food desert uh, situation in Ward Seven and Eight have been a known issue for a long time. For a long time, yeah, it was just always hard to get. You know, like a Walmart over there, like the deal never was too sweet enough or what right. have you. So it's just you know, it takes these things take time, but yeah. you know, it, food should be a right, not a privilege, and that's kind of what. It, the whole thing is based on my, for my advocacy and food policy is based on, on that, yeah. on that quote. Yeah. So. In the United States of America, food should be a right, not a privilege. Exactly. exactly right. For all. Um, well, I want to talk a little bit about um, a couple other projects that you have yeah. going on right now in the food world. Yes. Um, one of which I didn't really know that you had anything to do with um, until, uh, you know, we connected to, to, to have this conversation today, which is this enormous athletic entertainment complex out in, 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 in Virginia yeah. called the St. James which you have to see to believe. I mean, I, I, I'm not doing it justice in terms of describing. Yeah, it's a, it's, it's a 450,000 square foot facility. It houses the largest North American field house yes. that does football, rugby. I mean, you know, indoor, indoors, like whatever you, you soccer, you, you know, uh, we have an Olympic sized pool uh, that was made in like this little town in Italy, like the best pool ever. Uh, we have a uh, water slides, Two NH- NHL hockey rinks, golf simulator, which you mentioned you love, which oh, is super yeah. great. You can play 18 holes and drink some beers and eat some food. Gymnastics. We have um, there's you know, basketball courts. There's basketball a, courts. A tournament that's being hosted there. Oh, yeah. We have the MLK tournament uh, next Monday, which yeah. is huge uh, with the Kevin Durant team. 
So uh, big shout out to the, those guys. Uh, yeah. We have an amazing. We have the Kevin Durant basketball team at the St. James. You know, we it's epic. You know, we we were able to host DC United for a lot of their practice games and cook them lunch. And so, you know, it's it's a fantastic sports complex. The it's bit, one of a kind right now. It's one of a kind. Yeah, there's no people other... want to compare it to Chelsea Piers, but not. It's not even close. Uh, okay, it, it's like they they blow it out of the water. I, St. James blows uh, Chelsea out of the water. Out of the water. Right. I, I I never suck at Chelsea Piers. Suck at Chelsea Piers. I never even like understood that comparison. I was like, are you what are you guys talking about? Like we have like this state of this art place that's all indoors. It's not even close. But but then w- my part in it is that uh I get to uh, consult on the F&B uh program and the I'm part beverage I'm, program. Yeah. And I'm a partner with the guys Kendrick and Craig, which are the founders of the St. James. Really unbelievable uh founders to work for, some of, some of the best. And uh we were able to really churn out an amazing food and beverage program, which was based on uh healthy, hearty, and hydration were our three buzzwords. Yeah, triple uh, H. Triple H, baby. And we didn't we didn't really want to go with like any certain cuisine because uh-huh. we thought it was more about, you know, your personal eating habits there. Right. And we need to offer something for everyone, yeah. right? Are you bulking or are you trimming or are you fasting? Or are or you, you juicing? Get, or are you what are you doing? You know at what I mean? That scale, the walk of life that you that comes through there. It's gonna be any everything from six year old kids who might be there for hockey practice. Hundred percent. Up to old dudes like me who are there trying to hit some golf balls and have a couple of IPAs. Exactly. Exactly. So we have all walks of life there, which is a beautiful thing, all under this one building. Uh and we have a grab and go area which offers Acai bowls, smoothies, like really delicious yeah, pizza for yeah. kids. You know, you you kind of you can go healthy if you want. You and go you healthy don't have if, to. Yeah, you go healthy if you want. We're even starting to introduce other programs. We have a performance nutrition program that Vim and Victor does now. Oh, wow! Which is you meet with a trainer, they put you on this meal plan and this training ritual, and you just pick up your meals and grab it go. So it's like we're just we're developing the program more and more as we go. But it's it's really interesting, and it's taken me out of this space of of fast food or, you know, or, you know, the, the fast casual food that we've been doing with yeah. We the Pizza and Good Stuff and just made me able to lean a little heavier on healthier choices. We're, we're coined as healthy-ish because we, yeah, right. we play the fine line. Like sure. people are going to want a delicious burger. People are going to want a quinoa cake. They want to eat together. Great. We do that for you, yeah. right? And we offer all sorts of different alternative proteins like Beyond Meat uh-huh. is a staple on our menu, whether it's in a meatball form or we do a burger. We have Beyond Sausages. So we're, you know, we're 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 looking at everything, you know, like people that want plant-based, people that are 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 vegan or vegetarian or gluten-free, or you know, we're trying to do it all. It's a big undertaking, but how big's the kitchen? The kitchen is not that big. <laughs> it needs to be. Big. It needs to be. Big it needs to be for bigger. All of this, it needs to, it, it's big enough uh, uh, for for this for this location and for what we're doing. You know, we just have to work smarter sometimes there. Yeah. But I mean, we have everything we need to to execute. And uh, you know, we're Chicago now is is coming. You know, soon we're starting to work on the plans for that. So okay. bigger and Make better, bigger kitchen. There. Bigger kitchen you know, yeah, yeah. yeah so it, well, it's, this idea one the the one thing that you you describing it that immediately um, resonates is this idea of a um, customized, comprehensive eating plan, like being able to provide to somebody in in kind of a – because a lot of folks use St. James as their gym. You can have a gym membership and go work out there with a trainer or by yourself because the food part, 
you know, food and exercise or that if you want to lose weight, it's food and exercise. Exactly. So, you know, having if you want to gain two- weight, it's food and exercise. Right, yeah, right, yeah. Yeah. Whatever you want to do to yourself, yeah. food and exercise. Food and exercise. Yeah. But marrying those two and having them under the same roof, that's a unique kind of deal. Yeah. I that, think. that is the unique deal. And then to add another layer to that, right? The way sports programming has been running is that you have all these individual leagues that own their leagues. Yes. And then they all compete to rent space to play their games. Right. Right. Here right. or there. And as a parent that has one child, well, one's enough. But if yeah. you have two or three and yes. they're all doing sports, what happens to your life is it's almost it's taken away, right? So the, I always say that St. James is a lifestyle brand that offers you a new lifestyle, right? Because usually you're spent driving from one field to the other field to this place to that place. You're spending all your time listening to Joe Rogan or yourself on, in the car, <laughs> right? I'm listening to Bill yeah. Simmons. You're but yeah. starving because there's no food on these fields, like right? right? There's right. nothing to do. So what they figured out is like, oh, we're going to run our own leagues. And we're going to have our own facility. And bring everybody here. And we're going to bring everyone here. And then if when you're here, you're here. You're here for two to three hours. Because why? I could drop my kid off at lacrosse. I can go to Corded, which is our spa, get a massage, get a facial, get pedicure, get a whatever you want. Or, you know, my husband's going to go to the retail shop and buy a new pair of Jordans because we have a retail shop. And then after my kid's done, I don't want to go home yet because there's traffic. We're going to put him at, at the Ninja Warrior course. It's super awesome, amazing. So he can play like virtual reality or or do whatever. So you really, as a family, get to enjoy your your time, like practicing wellness and sports and eating. And that's, and that is the beauty of what they're doing at the Saint James is, is just be able to offer that lifestyle to people that they don't have, Yeah, you know? And it, when, and if you figure you talk about DC, I tell people in DC, this place is not far for you. I, this is, I told right? you, I tell in, people it's, it's like, not far for you because what are you doing? <laughs> I know you're driving 30, 40 minutes somewhere else yeah, to right. another field, for this field for to, this game. I know you're doing it. Yeah. So just drive to us and then come hang out for a couple hours. Man. It, it, it's it's pretty attractive. How how long um it's it hasn't been open that very long. I think we're about a year and a half right. plus, maybe a little right, bit, right? Right. So still since the, last September, know, I think. Yeah. The evangelizing needs to you know we need to spread the word. Yeah. Um, to get it out there because I even I'm learning about it my own self and I you know I'm 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 here. Listen, you want to shoot a round of of golf or some squash or yeah, uh, I bring my kid out and put yes. him on the ninja course and then we're gonna get back together. Together, and, exactly. Yeah, that's absolutely <laughs> right. I uh, appreciate very much the, the time today. I'm not. I, I, there's one more thing though before. before yeah, we got to get go. to it. 100. percent I mean, I need to talk about plant burger. 100. percent I need to know what 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 is it? What's <laughs> I'm going back in time it? now. Where did it come from? Yeah, yeah. Because I thought we were done with burgers, but this no, is a different deal. We're back. We're learning everything I know about burgers and applying it to plant burger. No, so. I feel just so lucky to be heading up this project, the team that we're doing it with. Um, you know, through this food policy stuff that I've been doing, I was able to be on a panel with Seth Goldman, okay, which is a chair, a chairman of the board of Beyond Meat. Oh, okay. Formerly, uh, well, Honest Tea also. Yes, Honest Tea. Okay, oh, I didn't know right. he was Honest Tea guy. Yeah. He, Honest Tea is a local. A, business. Yeah, he's yeah. local. Yeah. yeah, so he's local, and and he was you know huge in Beyond Meat as well, and he had snuck these burgers under my chair on a panel. My wife is vegan, so, you know, we've always been trying to figure out what, you know, I want to eat him like a good burger with you, but like, how do we do this? Sure. So, you know, and a lots of fails with like, you know, vegetarian burgers, because there's always like too much water content, whether it's mushroom or vegetables or what have you. So Seth opened my house to Beyond Meat. I took him home. I cooked these burgers up. I thought they were, it was like version 1.0. Like they okay. haven't even introduced the other, other ones yet. 
thought they were delicious. And as a burger guy, yeah. like had my stamp of approval right away. And I was super oh. excited. And my wife almost cried herself to tears after eating one because we got to enjoy like this bur this burger night together, right? <laughs> and it was just a great moment. So, I, you know, on a whim, I emailed Seth and I said, listen, I think you guys have the most amazing product. I'd love to work with you some more. You know, how can we do this? And I really think long-term, you should be thinking about, you know, 100% greasy, delicious, plant-based vegan burger spot. I was like, if you could pull that off, you're going to have, you're not just going to have vegans. You're going to have everyone. Plant-based vegan burger spot. So that's what we're talking about. That's what we're talking about. And that, and so I started working with Beyond Meat and doing some recipes. I launched their sausage. I started to get to know the company and some foods and, you know, very, very you know, we didn't have a contract or anything, but just started like yeah, kind of right. dating. Yeah, you like you know, each other. Schmoozing. Yeah. And You're impressed with each other. Impressed. And then Seth had introduced me to the rest of his family, which was Julie Farkas and uh, their son, um, Jonah Goldman, okay. which is head of marketing. Uh -huh. You know, after a couple of years of working with Beyond Meat, we just finally, we finally did it. You know, uh, we had a good connection with Whole Foods, yeah. you know, uh, through Seth. And and he said, maybe we want to do like, a, you know, let's, why don't we test this out in Whole Foods in a kiosk? And I wasn't convinced right off the bat, but after I started digging into the Friends partnership with Whole Foods, it's the most brilliant move we've ever made, right? So we went into Whole Foods. We developed a whole brand uh, around plant-based burgers. We have a delicious menu. Beyond Meat is the product that we use. We have a cheeseburger. We have a bacon mushroom burger. Okay. Um, we have sweet potato fries, regular delicious hand-cut fries, which you should come try those That's out. That's what I want. And, you know, we did it. We we opened it up three months ago. It's doing amazing. You yeah, know? so you're in the Whole Foods. Yeah. In, in your town, Spring, in your Maryland, old town, where, where you're from. I was born and grew up on, on Wayne Avenue. The number of times I rode my bike up. And now, back in that day... I'll, I'll really date myself across the street from where that Whole Foods is was a, a donut shop called Montgomery Donuts. Yeah. And that's where I was riding my bike was to go yeah. to Modo's Montgomery Donuts. So what but, is it with Silver Spring? Tell me, because I have just been introduced to it. Sure. And I haven't quite figured it out, but there's something really going on there. Like there's a lot of renovation, a lot of like abstract art. You got the kids museum there. It's like very family Diver, culturally diverse area that feels good like and it's it's not too far outside of dc and i'm just very surprised you know i just stumbled upon it myself so yeah it's a true like american city it's a it's a suburb city right yeah. it's adjacent to washington dc and it has because of sort of the socioeconomic space that it occupies an enormous diversity of cultures and backgrounds. I mean, part of my own food journey growing up in Silver Spring, I was like at an early age, just because I was like food curious, um, had the opportunity to try Ethiopian food yes. and uh, Burmese food and uh, um, uh, uh, Salvadoran, authentic Salvadoran, <laughs> the pupusas in Silver Spring. Oh my God, the pupusas. I love be, you know, to, to die for. So. We have a Salvadoran flipping our burgers. So. Yeah, right, right. Yeah, Crescencio, he's the best. I don't think he has to go very yeah. far. He probably yeah. was right. He there actually used to work at Good Stuff ten years ago. <laughs> <laughs> okay, right. <laughs> it's a sure. full circle. Yeah, right. But uh, but yeah, I mean, like, it's just such a great project, and we're opening up. You know, we're our slogan is like "Eat the change you wish to see in the world," right? Eat the change you, you wish, wish to, to see, see in, in the world, world right? Yeah. We really feel like this is a climate change concept, right? It, it's like we want to do our part in the environment, and what goes into growing animals mm -hmm. right is a lot of waste and like now you're, you're talking to a guy that, that likes and eats animals right, right? Yeah. and owns a burger place but we resource our food a lot better than 
these larger companies, right? And sure. and those are the mo- the monopolized countries that are, I mean companies that are are really affecting our food system. It needs to come to a stop. So for me, Plant Burger is just like like the culmination of everything that I, that I've wanted to do. It's like it's a it's a climate change concept. I think we're doing something better for the environment. It's delicious food. It's the burger space. I get to give back, and it's 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 great. Well, so. and you you guys picked a location. Um, <laughs> That that really captures this. It ain't a white people location. It is not you know a white I mean? people it's like location. Folks from all kinds of walks of life, all kinds of walks of life, backgrounds, and 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 that's the thing. The plant based protein movement doesn't seem tangible for a lot of people right. because it's it's it, it has feels foreign. It feels foreign and it's expensive. A lot of people overprice it, yes, right? Yes, yes. They yes. tweak it like eighteen dollars for a burger for Beyond Meat burgers. Like, come on, right. right? So what we do is we come into the market, we give you this plant based movement. We give it to you for an affordable price, and we give it to you with the foods that you love to eat, right? You love to eat burgers. Like, everyone loves to eat burgers. We're yeah. talking about America. We're talking about the world here. Everyone yeah. likes to we're, – we're going to do a conference for uh, the uh, climate change in Paris. Plant Burger is doing, like, a thing over there. Plant you know, Burger. Plant Burger. You That's know what I mean? Right. It's, it's insane. Yeah. But, but, uh, but, yeah, so we're really happy about what we do. We're also kosher certified, which is great. Especially for the Silver Spring area, we have a lot that of people. Diversity, a big Jewish, community. huge, huge Jewish Absolutely. community that never gets to eat any of this food. Yeah, usually, right? right so never, no burgers, no sausages. Yeah. So they've been going nuts over the food, and um, you know, we've been having a great time. I mean, it's I can be working with you know, uh, I have to say I have such great people I'm working with at Vim and Victor, and I have you know great people here at Plant Burger. It's 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 really a blessing. I feel super lucky, and of course, I have my family I've always been working with. So. Yeah, right, here in, in, in the DMV. Well, I feel uh, lucky my own self. It seems very unlikely that the thing that would bring you and I together, you know, a couple of DC homies, you know, been here for, for over a decade. I've been a fan of yours, admiring from afar. It seems unlikely, you're a burger guy, I'm a burger, that the thing that really has us today convened is Plant Burger. It's Plant Burger. <laughs> but, but look, that's where we are. It's 2020. Yes. And, you know, we're progressive fellas and we want the world to be better, you know, for our, you have a little one, I have a little one. Let's do our thing. 100%. Spike Mendelson. Thank you so much for coming on the pod today, my friend. It has been a pleasure. Let's do some more. We're going to do some more. Yeah, let's do some more. Victor. I'm going to drag you out to the golf simulator, and then I want you to show me how to do the ninja course. Yes, and you're and coming for a burger at, yeah, okay. at Plant Burger. Yes. I'm coming <laughs> for a show burger show me around your stomping grounds. So. Yeah, man. You got it. Thank you. Thank you, Spike. <laughs> Taste buds, there we go. Humongous thanks to my man Spike Mendelson. If you find yourself in the DMV, go visit any one of the many restaurants, projects that he has going on. He's got all of his old school good stuff eateries. Vim and Victor, which is housed inside the St. James. You heard us talk about it. And his plant burger, PLNT burger concept, out at the Whole Foods in Silver Spring. Lots of ways to take on some spike. I recommend that you do it. My hungry homies, we've got a lot to work through here the first part of 2020. Some incredible shows coming up. My man Dave Chang said on the Twitter this week that Washington, D.C. might be the very best city in America for pizza. I had to get to the bottom of that. Our old pal Kevin Alexander, he was on this fall, talking about his book, Burn the Ice, he went on a little deep dive of Eats 
old school Italian eats in Atlantic City. We're going to talk to him a little bit about that. There's a lot of other stuff we have in the works here at House of Carbs. But until then, my hungry homies, let's stay hungry out there.